believers, you have hearts that are prepared and ready to join together with God's people on this Lord's Day to worship and to rejoice in and to delight in together our great God. I pray that that is your heart, that he has prepared you throughout the week and now this culminating moment when we, the people of God, gather together. Uh, I trust that you are ready and prepared for these moments that are before us. Amen? May God grant that to us this morning. A few announcements, if you'll grab your bulletin. All right, that was a lot, a lot of announcements, if you'll grab your bulletin. Let me hit a couple that are not in your bulletin. First, I'm going to get in big trouble for this one because I'm not going to say happy birthday. I'm going to tell you how old she is, all right? Bertie Baber, 88 years old today, all right? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm faster than Bertie, so I feel like I can get away from her after this. Bertie, happy birthday. We love you. You have served this church so faithfully and so well, and we are deeply, deeply grateful for you. So uh, happy birthday. Make sure you tell her that on your way out today, likewise. All right, a few other, other announcements. Thank you for those who were able to join us yesterday for Don Ashmus's memorial service. Such a sweet reflection of Don and his life and who he was. Don would have hated yesterday because he never liked having attention up on him, but Don was a godly, godly man, and yesterday he, he was honored so well. Peter did a phenomenal job down at Risen King. Uh, his three daughters, two of his grandkids, shared memories of their grandfather and dad, and just he was honored well. His Savior was exalted. Thank you for those who were able to join us for that. One more, not in your bulletin. Today's the Walk for Life at the Capitol at 3 p.m. Uh, if you have not registered for that, my guess is they will not turn you nor your money away, okay? So show up. It's a beautiful day, 3 p.m. at the State Capitol. Uh, they would love to have you there. Walk for Life supports Crossroads Pregnancy Care Center. Uh, it's a wonderful and much-needed ministry in our city. They would love to have you there supporting them. Again, 3 p.m. today at the state capitol. All right, for a few that's in your bulletin, next Sunday evening, Pastor Tim is leading a prayer time here at 6 p.m. That is an in-person gathering. We would love to have you here. Uh, we're going to earnestly seek the Lord together over a variety of matters concerning our church and missionaries, uh, those uh, our network churches. We would love to have you a part of that. Uh, it'll begin at 6 p.m. right here in the auditorium. Um, it would be a sweet time for you. It'll be encouraging. It'll be strengthening to your faith. Come, be a part of that, 6 p.m. here in the auditorium. Ladies' book discussion coming up May 20th. We're mentioning that now because you need to grab the book and read it uh, before. It, it is an incredible book, Gentle and Lowly by Dean Ortland. Uh, you will find it profitable for your soul individually. Come on May the 20th and enjoy a great discussion of that that will occur from 7.30 to 9 in the chapel. Note the baptism class, uh, please, uh, if you're interested in being baptized, please talk with Tim soon. We're going to have that, uh, that, those classes soon. And then the community care announcement down at the bottom, just please take note of that. We want to serve our community well uh, and be helpful, not uh, over uh, hurt folks in how we serve them, if that makes sense. We, we want to speak into the life. We have folks uh, that come and have needs, uh, please direct them to our elders, our deacons, our staff. We would love to be able to speak with them and, and help them in any way we possibly can. Okay, all that aside, let's quiet our hearts before the Lord. We 
we gather together in the holy presence of God. So let us have hearts that are ready, prepared for that moment. Let's quietly pray for just a few moments. stand if you would and let us on this Lord's day hear the word of God call us to worship Psalm chapter 34 I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth my soul makes its boast in the Lord let the humble hear and be glad oh magnify the Lord with me and let's exalt his name together I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Amen. Sing again here. Come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for souls of loudest praise. Teach me song, O Lord, yes, song it, sung by claiming tongues of Praise his name, I'm fixed upon.
Well, today we continue through the Heidelberg Catechism on our Lord's Day gatherings. I trust as we have made our journey through these catechism question and answers that you have found them helpful to your soul. The truth contained therein is why we gather each Lord's Day to rehearse these grand and glorious promises that God has given to us in Christ. Today we will be reciting question and answer 20 and 21. Are all people then saved through Christ, just as they were lost through Adam? No. Only those are saved who continue in faith, are grafted into Christ, and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? say amen. Let us pray together. Father, our hearts echo these thoughts from the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism. It is by sheer grace we have been brought into a right and righteous standing before you, our God. It is by sheer grace we have experienced the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we bless your holy name that though we were in Adam, by this sheer grace, we are now in Christ. And because we are in Christ, we stand in your presence this day, adopted as sons and daughters, reconciled to you, our holy God, brought into your family, knowing what it is to have now a heavenly Father. Your people sit in this room and join us online and our hearts rejoice that we have experienced this grace you have given. Father, I pray that as we sing these songs, we read these scriptures, we hear the preaching of your word as we come to these tables, there would be in our hearts this enactment of that grace as we consider all that you have granted to us. Lord, we are reminded of your mercy that you have shown. If there would be any among us or online today who have not experienced that grace, who have not come to a saving faith, oh God, would you be kind to them today and grant them eyes to see and ears to hear that they might turn from their sins and turn to Christ and have life in him. Father, thank you for these truths. Build your church up today. Strengthen us. We ask that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please stand. Let's continue to sing together. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light 
Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the
Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Sing together, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. O my soul, I worship your Sing like never before. 
may be seated. And as you are, let's turn our hearts to hear God's good and holy word. The scripture is read. A reading from the Gospel of John. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. A reading from the first epistle of John. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe, God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We stand and let's sing together. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all
invite you to turn in the scriptures to Philippians chapter 4 this morning as we are coming to the conclusion of our series in the book of Philippians. Pastor Jason has led us so well in this study and it's my privilege and delight to finish up this book with you, our dear church family. Philippians chapter 4 verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Let's pray. Our Father, as we read your holy word today, as we listen to the Apostle Paul encourage, admonish, direct the hearts of people that he loves so dearly, doing it for their benefit and for your glory, I pray, Lord, that these words would land in our hearts in a rich way. As we read through them, Lord, we recognize very quickly the challenge that they are to live. Lord, we know that our hope is in Christ, our strength is in Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as we work through this text today, that we might keep that ever in our minds. I would ask, Lord, that you would open eyes to see maybe some element of truth that they have heard before but maybe not really landed upon their heart. I ask God that you would open eyes of those who do not know you, give them life that they might be able to see the truth of Christ, the truth of the gospel and be saved today. Lord, as we sing songs that speak so richly of the benefits that we have in Christ, 
power of Christ, his love for us, his death upon the cross, his purchase of us, the way he has redeemed us and keeps us and enables us. Lord, our hearts are overwhelmed. We are a grateful people. And so, Lord, might we keep that very much in the forefront of our minds day in and day out and throughout the day as we wrestle with life in a broken world, as we wrestle with life as people not fully glorified yet. So, God, we ask that you would use this text today to encourage and help your people and glorify your name. In Christ I pray.
glorious, glorious truth that is. I can't think of a better song to introduce the message today than that particular song. I appreciate the songwriter emphasizing that God is good over and over and over again because we need to be reminded of that truth and we need to remind ourselves of that over and over and over again that he will not forsake us, that he is faithful. Let me begin with a series of questions that are posed in some way in this particular text of Scripture. I want you to listen carefully to the questions because I think they are questions that we often have. I know sometimes it takes us just a moment to get our minds into the flow of a message, and I don't want that to happen today. This song has well prepared our hearts, the singing, the scriptures, all has led to this moment, and I trust God will use it to the fullest impact of our souls. How do we stand firm in our Christian faith and in life in general? How do we agree with people and walk in unity? It's never been a greater question than it is right now as we think about our culture the church at odds over a mask, at odds over a variety of issues in our culture. How do we agree with people and walk in unity, and how do we help fellow believers resolve their differences? How do we maintain, how do we sustain a spirit of rejoicing? And how do we keep from being governed by anxiety and worry? How do we experience a rock-solid, abiding peace? And how can we keep our heads screwed on right over the course of time? The answers to these very practical questions that regularly face me, and I assume they probably regularly face you. When I say regularly, I mean almost daily. These questions bear into my own soul, particularly the one about anxiety, the one about worry. The answers to these questions are somewhat simple, and we've sung about them today, and we're going to see them in the Scriptures. And they begin really with the very first word, therefore. Pastor Jason walked into my office on Monday, I think it was, and, or Tuesday, I can't remember, it was early in the week, and he said, this is just what preachers do. He said, what do you think the therefore is referring back to? And so I had kind of made, in my own mind, I'd begun my study process and kind of diverted that back really to the entirety of the first three chapters. But he said, you know, I think... It goes back particularly to verse 16. And so let me go back there and read that. And as I studied and thought, I think this is the core of what Paul is going back to. It is that statement that is going to push him forward into the rest of this book in chapter 4. But I think in this statement in verse 16, we find the whole of this book. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. If you were here last Sunday morning, 
Jason walked us through this ending part of chapter 3. It dealt with the idea of attaining, attaining that place in our walk with God, maturity in our walk with the Lord, of, of desiring and being found in Christ and having the fellowship of his sufferings and understanding and experiencing the power of his resurrection, to be able to walk in step with our Lord. And how that was so critical and ends with the, the sense of we are citizens of heaven. And the great truth that we find in that. And Paul is saying to us, only hold true to what you have attained. That which God has instructed our hearts, that which God has given to us, that which God has laid out before us, let us embrace it. Let us hold true to it. Let us press forward in the light of what God has done in, my li in our lives. In very typical Pauline style, Paul opens his letter with the focus on the foundation and groundwork of the person and work of God and the nature of our salvation and abiding relationship with him. Now, don't overlook this. If for some reason you lose sight of this, then it's going to be very difficult to bring the right answers to bear on the questions that we face every day in life. Somehow we will just become discouraged and quit along the pathway. But we want to hold true to that which we have attained and we want to continue to press forward in our walk with God and our maturity and our faith and our trust in God. And so it is critical that we understand this. Pastor Jason, last week as he concluded his message, brought three summary statements. And I would like to remind us of one. I don't think this is an exact quotation, so if it's not as nice as what you said, you can inform us. But this was the truth. And it really hit into my soul, and I think it is so accurate. A summary of the first three chapters. Who you are in Christ is the most important thing about you. Understanding our God, understanding our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. How can Paul state such statements to be anxious for nothing? How can he even bring that to bear upon us? Is he doing it in some way just to produce guilt and more anxiety? Paul sees it as something that is achievable, but only achievable as we understand who God is and our identity in him. Be like Christ, Jason said. Be in the presence of Christ. Know Christ and make him known. It is a life that needs to be defined by and anchored in Christ. I know those are not new words to anyone here today because we believe them deeply. We teach the scriptures and the scriptures say this over and over and over again. But unfortunately, just the way we are wired in the culture in which we live that is so man-centered, it is easy to lose bearing here. It is easy to lose that truth. That's why Paul would say at the end of all these words, only hold true that to which we have attained. 
Let me very quickly remind us of some of the truths that we need to be defined by about Christ and anchored in Christ. Philippians 1, he begins, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. To Paul and Timothy, Christ defined their life. They were serving Christ. They were not serving their own appetites. That's something we see in most every letter and it can be so easily glossed over. But it holds the answer to these questions that we have. How do I remain firm in Christ? How do I keep from wobbling? How do I keep from stumbling so often? How can I hold my course true? How can I interact with people over issues that might mean a great deal to me? But how can I agree with them and move forward in life, walking in unity? Philippians 1, 20 and 21 and verse 27. Listen to what Paul says here. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all, that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ. To live is Christ, defined by Christ. Anchored in Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 27, only let your manner of life, how you live, just how you live everyday life, waking up in the morning, walking through the day, engaging in the workplace, engaging in the neighborhood, engaging in the family, engaging in your own soul, your own thoughts, your own battles, just how you live life, your behavior. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That we would attain to walk in the power of the gospel. He's not here telling us to be superhuman. He's telling us to be anchored in God. To be anchored in Christ. That is how we face life. That is to define us and to anchor us. He continues, Philippians 2, 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think about life the way Christ thinks about life. Have a mindset, have an attitude, have a spirit that is defined by the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. But the way Christ approaches life, let it be the way we approach life. He's doing that speaking about humility so that they would walk in unity, that they would walk side by side and not be at odds with one another. And he says the key to that is humility. The key to understanding humility is understanding Christ. In chapter 2, he continues on. He praises Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy, he says, for they all seek their own interests but not those of Christ. Timothy had learned it was important to seek the interest and the glory of Christ. And if Epaphroditus, it says, he nearly died for the work of Christ, he was willing to be completely and entirely spent 
for the cause and the glory of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3, he says, who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. You remember when Jason was preaching about this, he said, I believe this is the mark of a true Christian. One whose glory is entirely in Christ. We understand that we are saved by Christ alone. It is faith in Christ alone. It is through the grace of God alone and through the scriptures that God has given us. We glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in our flesh. No confidence in our ability to manipulate life in a way that we feel that it should go. But we rest in Christ, we trust in Christ, our faith is in Christ, and we cannot overlook that. If we do, we will have bad answers to the questions. And it will come as a result that is not pleasing to the Lord and brings much harm to us as we walk this everyday life. Philippians 3.8, again, Pastor Jason spoke about this, and it just penetrated my soul as I listened to him preach. I count everything as loss, and now don't miss this, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Surpassing worth. It is more important than absolutely everything. If you cannot sink your teeth into that, you will have a hard time ever agreeing with other people because the, the peripheral items of life will become so dominant to you that you miss this grand picture of the glory of Christ in our life and that it is more important to know Christ and live for Christ and embrace Christ and hold true to that which he has led us to than any other peripheral issue that we will face. Only then can we find that agreement. Colossians 1, 28 and 29 has rested in my heart for decades. I'm that old. For decades. And it has been a guiding force in my life as a pastor as a dad and as a husband. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil, I give myself to it. Not lackadaisically, but I toil. I'm giving myself to it. I'm straining, like Pastor Jason said last week, pressing. This is the part that is so critical. Struggling with all his, God's energy, that he, God, powerfully works within me. Let's go to our text. Therefore, it took me all that time to do one word, but I'm going to put it in high gear here. Paul's going to come down to the end of verse 1, and he's going to tell them to stand firm. He's already put this challenge before them, this command, if you will, appeal to them in chapter 1, verse 27. In a sense, we saw it also in chapter 3, verse 16, to hold true. Stand firm. 
a life of stability, of endurance, of perseverance, of faithfulness, not giving up. If you've lived life for very long in this world, you know the challenge that those words put to you. To stand firm. I know the challenge of them in my heart. I experience this. I experience the difficulty of always being stable, being firm, being faithful, enduring. Stand firm. Now, Paul's not bringing a heavy hand on them. He's not one of these preachers that's railing on him with great authority and pressing upon them to somehow manipulate them and bring them into a state of guilt. That's the furthest thing from Paul's heart and mind. Listen to how he addresses them. He calls them my brothers. He's in this life with them. They're family, my brothers. He calls them at the end of the verse, my beloved. He says, I love you, whom I love. Paul was willing to be spent for the gospel for their lives. He says, even as I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, even though I am totally spent and expended for you, I love you. That's the reason I'm going to encourage you to stand firm is because I love you. He goes on, he says, and long for you. He had a desire. In chapter 1, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He goes on to say that they are his joy and crown. They are his delight. As he thinks about life, as he thinks about ministry, it is not the numbers of churches, it's not anything such as that, it is people. The people that he is serving become the joy and crown of rejoicing, as he would say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of, of boasting before the Lord that is coming? Is it not you? Any pastor that loves his people would say the same thing. The greatest joy that comes to the heart of a pastor is not the size of his church, but watching his people grow and watching God's grace work in their life. Same thing to a parent. Watching your children mature in the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul is moved by that. And so it's not a heavy-handed thing here, stand firm, but rather something, an appeal made out of love and desire for them. Stand firm. The little preposition is the key to it. Stand firm thus in the Lord. All the things that I've talked about up to this point were the setting the context, the grounding. That's, we are anchored into Christ. He is good. He is good. I don't know how many times it says it in that song, but we probably need to say it that many times every day. He is faithful. He will hold us. He will hold us. He will not forsake us. He will keep us. 
I can't tell you how many times in my life I have had to come back and remind myself that God is good. And some of the greatest trials of your life, when it seems like God is not good, you need to be reminded, you need to stand firm, you need to anchor in the truth of who our God is only God is good. He can only be good. That defines him. He is good to the infinite degree. He is good to the point that there is absolutely nothing that could ever come into him that would not be good. If it ever did, he would cease to be God. And we need to be anchored in that truth. Not anchored in our own ability, not anchored in our own ability to manipulate life and feel good about things. We need to be anchored in Christ. Stand firm in Him. I'll read Ephesians chapter 6 of this, where He tells us to be strong in God, to be strong in the Lord, to find our strength in Him. That is so critical. I think Emily likes my preaching. <laughs> Secondly, verse 2, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Stand in unity. There are two ladies in the church, Eodia and Syntyche. It does not define where the problem is doesn't define you would assume it must be somewhat personal not a theological issue it describes these women as both being found in the book of life in verse 3 whose names are in the book of life it also describes them as laboring side by side with Paul in the ministry of the gospel so these are godly women these are women who know the power of God. These are women who understand the things that are important. And so we need to recognize that. Paul addresses both ladies. I entreat Eodia. I entreat, I urge. So he's saying it with some intensity here, but not in some high-handed way. He comes to both of them, I believe, with great respect. He calls them to a very clear objective, agree in the Lord. He does not necessarily say agree on the issue. You might not agree with someone about masks. I say that just because as a church, we're going to face this. Churches are going to be split wide open over a mask. I understand there are strong feelings about this. But when you take a mask and lay it aside, God Almighty, the cross the resurrection, the gospel, somehow it just doesn't seem to stack up as something that we would split with other Christians about. We ought to be able to find agreement in the Lord. And so he recognizes that this is not a simple matter. We don't know exactly who he's addressing here in verse 3. I ask you also, true companion. It's an interesting study if you want to dig into that just as a little sidelight of who this might be, but it, it, it really is immaterial. Just know that he's asking someone to help them. He says, I want you to help these women. I think you can just kind of take this passage and come up with these truths. 
begin with the greatest priority when we think about agreement. The greatest priority is the Lord. Agree in the Lord. The greatest priority is Christ. Identify what you have in common. Agree in the Lord, the gospel. Your names are written in the book of life. You're going to spend all eternity with this individual. Christ has purchased you. You're of the same family. You have the same inheritance. You have the word of God in common. You have all these resources, all these things in common. Agree in the Lord. Be humble. Honor one another. Comes from chapter 2 where he's also introduced this idea of walking side by side in unity. Be willing to be humble and recognize that you might not know everything there, there is to know about life. That's hard for us sometimes. It really is. I mean, I know that sounds a little bit arrogant or whatever. Even to say it, I feel that way. But a lot of times we, we get so whelmed up on something that we feel like we've just got the answer and everyone else is wrong and this is just the most important thing in all the world. And so I'm assuming it was an issue such as this, that there was something personal, something between these two women who worked with Paul. They, they loved the gospel. They loved Christ. And yet they were at odds. And he says, help these ladies to see these truths. Encourage them to be humble, to honor one another, and to seek peace. To seek peace. I don't like to be at odds. I don't like it when Becky and I are a little sideways with one another. That happens. I, I just, I, it's, I'm uncomfortable with that. Some people like that. I mean, they just love the tension. They love the battle. I, I don't. I don't like it. And I want to seek peace, not at the expense of truth, but really to advance the cause of truth and the gospel and the power of Christ in our lives. The next one, tough one. I mean, these are all difficult. Rejoice in the Lord always. How can we maintain a spirit of rejoicing? We know we, we're not talking about just that flippant way that we think about life and skipping around and whistling and singing and all that. We, we recognize that. But that our source of joy, that, that our source of hope is in the Lord, and, and we can rejoice in the Lord always. How do we maintain that spirit of rejoicing? Psalm 73, you want to write that down, is such a helpful psalm to me. It's been helpful all through my Christian life. I believe it gives an answer here, and that is to come when they came into the sanctuary of the Lord, that they went from a place without their circumstances ever changing. They went from a place of hopelessness to glorying in Christ because their focus turned from the things of this world that steal our joy to Christ himself. Even in the midst of very, very difficult things, we can rejoice in the Lord. 
when I've walked through really difficult times in my life and my joy was far, far, far away, I would try to take my mind and focus on all the glorious benefits, 10,000 reasons, all the benefits of Christ. And in them, my heart could rejoice. And I could move through the day without being absolutely overwhelmed by the sadness or the grief or the bitterness or the anger that could overtake my life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, just that sense of being gentle with all people. The Lord is at hand. We recognize he is near. Verse 6. Don't be anxious. I recognize when I say this, that some people's, just their disposition is given to anxiety. Some people just by their very human nature are anxious about life. Other people just are a little more free of care. But I don't think Paul is singling out any particular group. I think he is telling us something here that can be a tremendous asset in dealing with anxiety and worry. I'll not ask you to raise your hand. I've already confessed anxiety is something that I have to wrestle with more often than I wish. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to the Lord, be made known to God. Just think about that just for a minute here. Anxiety, worry, dealt with by praying. I'm going to say something here that might strike you as odd, but I think it is a truth among many Christians. Many times we think about things without actually praying about things about actually engaging, whether we get down on our knees or whatever it is, but taking the anxiety, the, the sources of anxiety, and laying them before the Lord. Bringing them, identifying them. Everything. I think it's complete. I think it's something that we look at. I think it's something that we really engage in. I think it's one of those things that we recognize these areas are bringing me anxiety. I am worrying about these particular things. Lord, I want to bring those areas, those items to you. I want to bring them as, as make it as tangible as you can. Like you put it in a basket, you take it, and you pour it out before the Lord. You just take those things and you lift them up to God. I try to make it so graphic in my mind that I take those things that cause me anxiety and I lift them up to God. And I say, Lord, you tell me you care for me. You tell me you are good. You tell me you are wise. You tell me you are infinite. You tell me you are sovereign. You tell me you are omnipotent in everything, that you can do all things, that you never do anything that is to my evil and detriment. God, I believe you. And I cast these things that are absolutely absorbing my life, I bring them and I cast them before you. 
a lot of times we just don't go through all of that process. We worry about it, we think about the Lord a little bit, but we don't identify it and we don't bring it. And I think it is a critical here. Prayer and supplication. Just that lifting up before the Lord, the intensity that comes with that because of the desperate need of our heart. We want peace. We don't want this anxiety that can capture us. It's in the Lord. It is being anchored in God. It is understanding that really God is good. God is not going to forsake us. He really isn't. It might feel like it, but he doesn't. It might feel like we are helpless, but we have a great and mighty God who is sovereign over the affairs of our life. He is God. That's why we make them known to God. It's not making them known to man. I bring my desires and my anxieties to God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. And when we are anchored in that truth and defined by that reality, then God can give us a measure of peace. I can trust God. Now, Ten minutes later, you might have to go through the same thing I do. That's a sad thing, but it, it happens to us. That our minds can be overcome by certain things. And I recognize that, again, every situation is different. But this is a resource to God's people that can be used and claimed with this sweet, sweet promise that God gives us a peace that passes understanding. We don't know how it came, except that it came through Christ. The peace of God, it guards our hearts where bitterness and anger and all those things just grow. It guards our mind where doubt comes Fear comes. It guards us. And it can be so incredibly helpful. Isaiah 26, 4. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed anchored on you. Why? Because he, that person, trusts in God. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Psalm 91, my mother's favorite verses. I remember she was going into surgery. She had breast cancer. And I was living in New Hampshire. I'd come down to West Virginia to visit her. And I walked into her room and was teary of course to see your mother in that type of a situation I said mom you know what would you like for me to read she said read Psalm 91 1 and 2 he who dwells in the shelter of the most high now just think about what that's saying he who dwells he who lives he who abides he who exists 
in the shelter under the wing, under the comfort, under the care, recognizing fully, completely, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I mean, even if you don't know exactly what that says, it sounds good. <laughs> it sounds like a place that's where I want to be, under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Recognize his sovereign care, recognize his sovereign wisdom, recognize that you can rest in God, the creator, sustainer of the universe. God's peace will keep you and it will guard your mind. I'm going to stop there. I have this next part of the service text that I prepared to speak, but I'm not going to finish that up. I'll include that in next week's. I thought maybe that might happen. I want you to look up here at me just a moment. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that I long for us as the people of God to know the peace of God, to know the greatness and splendor of Christ to know the worth of his salvation. This is Jason's heart. It's the heart of our elders. It's the heart of most people in this church for one another. I don't say these things to put you down, to produce guilt. If it does, oh God, I prayed all week long that it would not do that. I do this because I love you and I want you to know who God is. I want our lives to be defined by Christ. Just walking through this life as a Christian without any anchor in God. We will not know these things. This is like a foreign language to you. Anchor your soul in the Word. Seek to put roots down into Christ. Oh, the benefits are glorious. Hold true to that which we have attained and we do it for the glory of Christ. I'm going to ask our elders if they would come to the table. Deacons, if you would get into place to dismiss the folks who are here. If you're visiting with us today, we do not want the table to be something that is awkward for you. The scriptures are very plain and clear that this is the table for those who know Christ. If you're a Christian, you, by God's grace, have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we encourage you to come. There's no, no greater joy to our hearts than to see the people of God come to this table and partake. If you are not, we would simply ask you to observe that Jesus Christ shed his blood, Jesus Christ's body was broken for us, Pastor Jason will lead us through the table in just a moment. Listen carefully. Allow the Spirit of God to speak into your heart. Our Father, what a great, great, great God you are. Thank you for Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Thank you for the truth that contains, Lord, these elements that we all struggle with to one degree or another. 
oh God, might we find victory through the power of the gospel, through the energy, through that which we have through Christ and his word, just being united with Christ, being in union with him, being placed into him. God, might those great truths govern our mind and how we live for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. You can begin dismissing the people.
writers of the Heidelberg help us even in this moment. They ask us, how does the Holy Supper remind you and assure you that you share in Christ one sacrifice from the cross and all his benefits? It's a good question. Listen to their answer. In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup in remembrance of him. With this command come these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, the cup shared with me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified and poured out blood. That is how the Holy Supper nourishes and strengthens our souls. Let's take just a moment, bow your heads, quiet your hearts, reflect, rejoice, commune with your Savior as we prepare to celebrate this time together. Paul the Apostle would write, that he received from the Lord what he is delivering now to us. At the very night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he would break it and he would say to his disciples, and he says to us, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. same way after supper Jesus would take of the cup and he would say to his disciples and he would say to us this cup is a new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me Tied to the supper is the promise of God to bring all things to pass through the coming of his son. So Paul reminds us, brothers and sisters, as often as we eat of this bread and drink of this cup, in doing that, we now proclaim the Lord's death, and we do so until he comes. And the heart of the church, the heart of the people of God for 2,000 years has been this. Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. May he do so. Let us pray together. Well, Father, we rejoice in all that you have given us in Christ. 
this bread, this cup, they are so helpful to remind us, to nourish us in those truths, to strengthen our hearts of faith, to point us to the gospel. Thank you for giving us tangible elements to put our hands around and to place in our mouths, reminding us of all that Christ has done for us. Lord Jesus, be exalted among your people here today. We glory in you, O Christ. You are worthy to receive honor and blessing from your people this day whom you have purchased. Father, use these moments, the preaching of your word, these tables, to build your people up here in this most holy faith. Thank you, O God, for all you have given us in your Son. Blessed be your holy name. In his name we pray, amen. Please stand if you would. Thank you. 
songs today. What wonderful time of worship together. The benediction is such a good conclusion. The Apostle Paul, the author of the letter of the book of Philippians, is also, of course, the author of Romans, brings the same thing to bear upon our hearts. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God's people say, Amen. Amen.